Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome back to The Bunker, your morning political pick-me-up. I'm Andrew Harrison. Today, Patrick Minford... When I was a teenager in the 1980s, Margaret Thatcher's favourite economist was the bete noir of progressives, the arch-monetarist who advocated for low taxes, free trade and deregulation to stimulate the economy, seemed blind to the consequences for ordinary people, and, ironically, was headquartered at the University of Liverpool. Minford faded from view in the 2000s, but resurfaced as the founder, and apparently sole significant member, of Economists for Brexit, where his sunny boosterism enraged Remainers, like me. This summer, Liz Truss cited him as her guiding economist, and the jaw-dropping disaster of this autumn's Truss Quartain budget was pure Minfordism. Ignore Treasury orthodoxy, go for stronger economic growth, and don't worry about the national debt. The wreckage of that approach is all around us. But who is this strange, maverick figure, who's now Professor of Economics at Cardiff University? Where did he come from, and why does his influence persist? To help me understand all the things that I ought to remember from my economics A-level, I'm joined by Laurie McFarlane, fellow at the Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose, former senior economist at the New Economic Forum, and I'm guessing not a fan. Is that right, Laurie? Yeah, not not a huge fan. So, I mean, for me, the return of Patrick Minford was like seeing some character from season one of The Sopranos turn up in a new episode of Gangs of London. I'm like, I thought you were dead. I thought you disappeared years ago. What does Minford stand for? and Why is he this kind of recurring character? Well, Patrick Minford has been around for a very long time um, in one way, shape or form, although he has, as you say, dis- did disappear from the limelight for a while. He's a free market economist, a very, very pro-free market economist, and in that sense, a bit of an outlier in the economics profession. Many economists are, are certainly you know, fond of markets, but Patrick Minford is an extremist. He sort of came to prominence firstly uh, around the time of Margaret Thatcher, and was described as one of Margaret Thatcher's sort of favourite economists. A lot was quite influential in this sort of Thatcher project, which obviously had at its root things like privatisation, deregulation, uh, promotion of free trade, uh, lower taxes, and all that kind of stuff. And so he was very influential during that period, and and has sort of certainly not changed his view on lots of those things as the decades have gone by. He sort of popped up again in terms of prominence during the Brexit debate. He was very, very prominent uh, supporter of not just Brexit, but of the hardest possible Brexit, you know, a very, very hard Brexit. And he was a prominent member of the Economists for Brexit group, which was a group of similarly minded free market economists who really sort of viewed Brexit as a, a sort of big prize here for the UK economy to sort of further push this extreme free market approach. Uh, and it's interesting, I mean, some of his projections on, on Brexit, they were just wildly out of line, you know, a massive outlier compared to basically any other credible economic analysis. He was saying that Brexit's going to deliver huge increases in GDP, you know, of about 7%. It's going to reduce price, prices for British customers. And of course, ironically, we now see it's not just Brexit, of course, we've had the pandemic and everything else, but lots of the sort of bold, predictions that the likes of Minford made obviously ha- haven't quite materialised. I think it's important to say as well that um, 
one sort of consistent thread throughout his thinking has been a very significant disregard for the kind of disruption or, or dislocation that his policies would would bring. Uh, so he said quite openly that basically sort of unilaterally leaving the EU without a deal, unilaterally abolishing all trade barriers, which he supported, he said that it probably would result in the elimination of British manufacturing and British farming. But that's fine, he said, because, you know, they'll go the, the way of like coal and steel and, you know, we will be more competitive elsewhere. That disruption in terms of jobs, in terms of people's livelihoods, would obviously be quite severe, but he, he doesn't really care. It doesn't really seem to care about that. Uh, and we saw this again with Liz Truss. Liz Truss, as you said, cited Patrick Minford in her leadership campaign as an influence in her approach, which is, you know, slashing taxes, deregulation will, will lead to higher growth. And I think we saw the mini budget, which has now been obviously almost entirely reversed, was really an experiment in Minfordism in the sense that Liz Truss uh, really wholeheartedly uh, embraced this approach, which is about slashing taxes, including on the wealthy, deregulating the economy even more. Yeah, and, and we saw what the what the result of that was. It, it really didn't survive contact with reality. He is rigidly consistent. He seems to want to apply the same solutions he was so successful in putting forward in the kind of high inflation, high spending, very different circumstances of the late 70s and the early 80s to now to the post-austerity 2010s, that old mantra of cut the state. There isn't much left to cut. How is it that he can apply the same solutions to entirely different problems? That's a key point, which is that back when he first popped up during the Thatcher years, we're in a very, very different uh, uh, time. Obviously, we had we we're starting from a position where there was, you know, significant nationalised industries. Regulation was higher in in many areas. Taxes, particularly on things like incomes, were much higher. And obviously, through the th- sort of Thatcher project, we saw taxes slashed, deregulation uh, introduced, and part of the sort of the, the side effects of that whole uh, approach, of course, was rapid deindustrialization of, of of many parts of the country. And so to sort of say now, oh, well, actually, we need to, you know, cut taxes, cut regulation, sell off public services, there really isn't much left to do. There isn't really much further that this can actually go before you just see things uh, completely fall apart. And so he does seem to be uh, incapable, really, of sort of adjusting his stance towards changing times. And ultimately, I think it's it's a very ideological view. He's very ideological and the idea that, you know, regulation or the government doing things is bad, even if those things are things like regulations to keep our food safe, our environment healthy, guarantee our rights in the workplace. He's very, very keen on deregulating the financial sector. And that was one of his key arguments uh, for Brexit was the EU's sort of stifling the city of London. And of course, we know what happens when the financial sector isn't regulated enough because we saw that in the financial crisis. Uh, and so, yeah, this this sort of extreme ideological viewpoint, very uncompromising, uh, is something that he's 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 maintained throughout his life. And I think what I hope anyway is that the mini budget, as I say, was kind of a, a, an experiment with Minfordism in practice. And he was very, very favourable towards that mini budget, as was many of his allies. You know, the praise, there was gushing praise from the Institute of Economic Affairs, which he's done work for, um, from CPS, from other free market sort of journalists and Patrick Minford saying this is the best budget we've seen in decades. You know, this really is finally we have a we have a prime minister who's sort of listening to Milton Friedman type ideas. And this is the closest thing we have to Thatcher. And of course, we just saw we saw what the consequences of that were. And that's uh, for good reason. Basically, all of it has now been ripped up and the government has U-turned on on virtually all of it. 
the financial crisis of 2008 was it's very very hard to explain that in any other terms apart from deregulation gone wild did Minford have a take on that, an alternative explanation? Because essentially it was what he advocated had run wild and crashed the world economy. There's a view on the sort of extreme free market side of things that the global financial crisis, far from being uh, you know, caused by the very sort of deregulated system that they advocate, was actually caused by too much government intervention and particularly blaming central banks for having interest rates too low and that actually you know, the government and the central banks did too much and that if there was a true free market i.e more more competition more deregulation then something like that would never have occurred so it's a very sort of extreme view that isn't shared by anywhere near the mainstream of, of economic thinking um, and it's also not really credible doesn't really doesn't really stand up to scrutiny or empirical evidence but I don't think there is much in the way of empirical evidence that would make someone like Patrick Minford change his mind because he does operate on a very, very ideological basis. That firm commitment to you know, deregulation, lower taxes, privatisation, doing away with buyers to trade is a belief that is held in an unshakable way. And uh, you know, I don't think there is much that will, will do to shake that. I haven't seen his sort of take on the recent U-turn in relation to the mini-budget, but you know, I did see that when the mini budget was introduced and there was all sorts of chaos in financial markets that, you know, he was saying and taking a strong view that, you know, this is fine. You know, listen, don't worry about the benefits. The benefits will soon appear. And, you know, this is all nothing to worry about. Um, and I do think Liz Truss will probably be sitting there slightly regretting listening so keenly to somebody like Patrick Minford because it's seen her prime ministership gone up in flames. I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing, but I listened to Professor Minford in conversation with Liam Halligan on a GB News podcast earlier today. This is not necessarily my usual audio diet, but I want to get a sense of like just what he's what he's like as a human being, how he sounds, what his kind of his demeanour was. This podcast was dated on the sixth of September. The hindsight possibilities are huge and delicious. It's such a strange listen because amongst the first things he says is that he's very concerned about the cost of living crisis. He wants to index links benefits. He wants to cut the AT. For, you know, which obviously benefits all consumers. And I'm listening to this thinking, yeah, these are all pretty good points. You know, the, you, you do not sit, sound like the creature of caricature that I was expecting. But he's so boosterish about trustonomics. You know, we must fit state spending to our available tax re- revenues, which is obviously, there's a lot in that. What does that exactly mean? Well, it means cut the state back enormously. Is it that he kind of lives this monkish existence that's separated from ordinary people? It doesn't understand what the consequences of what he advocates would be. I think it is. I think he sort of operates with a sort of caricature view of the economy, which is a sort of very, very um, basic economics 101 type view of a kind of model of the economy, which is, you know, taking certain things as truth and then applying them to the extreme and not seeing the sort of real life impact and disruption and impact on people's life that, that, that these things might have or not or not taking them particularly seriously, because does seem to start from these certain basic positions, which is sort of, sort of tru- truisms. Low taxes will generate growth, like, deregu- like deregulation will help consumers with lower prices, like all barriers to trade are harmful to consumers, and then sort of applies them to the extreme. Of course, the reality is that the way that the economy works doesn't work like a, a, you know, a textbook. We don't have a world where markets are perfectly competitive, where 
everyone is completely rational and has access to perfect information. We We live in a very, very messy world that has messy consequences. And I think rather than sort of engaging in the, the sort of empirical reality of, of how the economy works, he sort of lives in a sort of a, a theoretical view in his head, which is very ideological. Um, and, and as a result, that feeds through to the, to the kinds of policy prescriptions that he sort of lives and dies by. Um, has he been right about anything in your experience? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, pff, more often than not, certainly when I've been around and, and engaged with him, Often, I think he's he's 180 degrees the wrong way on most things. And I think that the influence that he has had, because he has had significant influence, let's not forget that. This isn't a sort of fringe figure who doesn't get listened to. Brexit happened, and part of the reason that the Brexit happened, there are lots of different reasons, but there was at least a sort of intellectual case that was being put forward by the, the free market right and that wing of the Tory party to really push this forward drew heavily on Patrick Minford's thinking and work. And his, his analysis was cited repeatedly as the as sort of evidence of how Brexit will benefit us in terms of GDP and incomes and, and lower prices, which has proved out to be obviously complete nonsense. Similarly, again, with Liz Truss, he did have influence there. We're all paying the price for that now. Um, and so certainly on the major issues of the day uh, in recent times where he's had influence, I think he's been completely wrong o- on all of them. And unfortunately, that's not just a academic issue it's mistakes that have had huge consequences for ordinary people both in terms of brexit and in terms of the cost of living uh crisis with the mini budget making things you know much much worse than than they were before and that they needed to be he's an absolute cult figure on that libertarian tufton street iea axis is there an element that uh, you know perhaps he's so popular with them because he provides intellectual cover for what they really just want to do from their own instincts. They just want to cut taxes to rich people. Patrick Minford provides a rationale. That's absolutely right. He provides a sort of intellectual cover for what is a, a very ideological project that also just will, will, for the most part, happen to benefit uh, the, those who are better off and the wealthy and, and big corporations. And if you see it, it's quite striking when you look at, for example, the Brexit debate and you look at, I mean, obviously, economic forecasting is a very imprecise science. There's lots and lots of variables. It can't be done with complete accuracy, and there will always be diversions from forecasts and what actually happens. But if you look at the forecasts of dozens of different forecasters or institutions or academics, credible modeling the impact of the kind of hard Brexit, and then you look at Patrick Minford's, I mean, he's just on like a completely different level. Everyone else is sort of saying there's going to be a neg- varying degrees of negative impacts due to XRZ, and Patrick Minford saying, actually, we're going to see GDP increase by 7% almost overnight. I'm not someone who thinks there isn't a place for heretical thinking and economics. So I think we do need to challenge the sort of mainstream group thing, and that's absolutely you know good. But it also needs to be grounded in some kind of reality. And I think uh, often with his work, it, it just isn't. It's, it's a sort of fantasy, and, and it is just highly ideological and, and, and highly dubious in its assumptions. So, I mean, I suppose we should just in closing look at where we are now because we are in the wreckage of the big Minfordist budget. Liz Truss cited him as a guiding economist. I mean, a lot of people suspected it simply because he was Margaret Thatcher's favourite economist. We've just seen the kind of Minford libertarian thing blow up in everyone's faces. Is there any way that there's a future in this this line of thought? Because the kind of defence used to be, well, it's never been tried properly. It's been tried in full and exploded, fell to pieces. Is there any road left for the 
the Medfordist line? Well, I think there is a risk now that what we will see, we, we saw under the mini-budget a huge gamble with Minfordism. And bear in mind, a key part of that was not really caring about the deficit, but doing so with these huge tax cuts, vast, vast tax cuts, often to the, to the wealthy. So these sort of unfunded tax cuts that were going to increase the, the debt and the deficit. Now, we've seen that sort of blow up and the, the blowback happen from that. There is a risk now that we sort of lurch to the other <laughs> The other extreme, and you see this with Jeremy Hunt now coming in, talking about, okay, we need to tighten the belt. And there is a risk that we now see a kind of return to sort of Osborneite austerity, which, of course, Minford also supports. The thing with Minford is he, he claims to care about, you know, government budgets and reining in government spending. But he is quite happy to have huge, huge unfunded tax cuts and blow up the deficit if it's for tax cuts for the wealthy. He's not up for that, of course, if it's to fund public services or or anything like that. Um, and so I do think there is this risk that we're now sort of jolting towards uh, back to a sort of Osborne austerity type view, which is, OK, we messed up and now we really need to crack down on spending and sort of we're going to see cuts fall on areas potentially like you know health, education, local government, which have already obviously been hammered over the course of the past decade. And I suspect the likes of Minford will jump on that and support that because any opportunity to reign in the state, in, in his view, is good. But I do think the sort of shock, uh, sort of extreme Minfordism that we saw there, and particularly in relation to the huge unfunded tax cuts and things like that, I don't think we'll be seeing that again. But I do think the risk is now that there is a sort of a turn to reigning in the state and clamping down on things like welfare spending, education, health, just you know, as a response to this, even though that's stuff that Minford would absolutely support and has been calling for for a long time, you know, whittling away welfare. It's already, you know, among the lowest in Europe. So you've got to ask how much further can it go? But I think he would actually and, and still support a lot of that. And I think that is a major risk that we now start to repeat the same mistakes of the post-crisis austerity under George Osborne and David Cameron, which we know was hugely counterproductive, wasn't even successful at reducing the debt to GDP. That continued to increase, but it uh, undermined productive capacity, it suppressed incomes. We saw the longest sustained decline in living standards since records began during that time, and now we're seeing it again with this crisis. And, of course, also eroded public services uh, and left us sort of quite unprepared. And I think with the pandemic and both the uh, energy crisis, I think there's a strong case to say that the austerity that was pursued post-crisis did contribute to leaving us vulnerable and unprepared, both on the pandemic and the energy crisis. And so I think there is a risk that we start to repeat those mistakes rather than learning from them. And unfortunately, that these are things that Minford would probably like to see. Well, he's still defending the quartering budget. He's writing in The Telegraph this week that the U-turn on tax cuts is insane and suicidal, and he's blaming the anti-growth coalition. So it's always our fault. Laurie McFarlane, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to help Britain escape its low-growth prison, then why not support hard-working podcasters by backing the bunker on Patreon? You'll get every edition early and without adverts, plus exciting merchandise with new designs based on our swanky new look coming soon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast or follow the link in the show notes. You'll be helping British podcasting manufacturing to take on the world. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, and me, Alex Reese. The assistant producer was Kasia Tomashevich. Our marketing manager is Gina Richard. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.